0: All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 56. Today, we're going to talk about something that Warren Buffett dropped in his latest shareholders letter. And he was also mentioned on a video on CNBC that was released recently. And this is relating to new gap figures that are going to potentially inflate earnings figures and we're going to dive into that andrew is going to start us off and talk a little bit about some of the background and then we're just kind of going to go back and forth so andrew why don't you go ahead and start us off there big guy
2: yeah sounds good and you know like my mo for this podcast has been kind of to hate on cnbc i just have to say like they put up a new video series and it's probably the best thing on youtube other than my own stuff obviously Obviously, right they're they did like three hours with warren buffett on squawk box and um you know edited it down and i think it's about an hour to an hour and a half of content on their youtube channel right now and this was back in um i think early february is when they interviewed them mid-february is when it was released and so he's you know, that's straight from the Oracle himself talking about some of the stuff we saw with Bitcoin, a lot of the market volatility we saw at the beginning of the year. And most importantly, which kind of, from my understanding, from the way I'm kind of interpreting all of this, he just mentioned something as an aside and, and they talked about it briefly, but like the whole majority of the finance industry right now is completely ignoring this and it's going to have a big impact for a certain group of companies and it's relating to what they referred to with these uh, gap which is generally accepted accounting principles or practices and it's the way that these companies are having to report their financial data that's all audited and it's how they come up with the earnings number and so it's going to be a big kind of thing and it's all in uh, hand in hand with like the new tax reform stuff that we're seeing. And so it's like this unprecedented thing and it's definitely something we need to discuss. We're going to try to keep everything basic, explain everything from the very top down and keep it in simple terms, but it's something that's important to understand so we can know how to approach these type of businesses moving forward um, it's not going to necessarily affect every single company that's out there right now but it is something that we should definitely talk about so I guess the first thing Dave I will ask you you know how would you break down some of the major aspects of this are going to be net income and marketable securities um, and then how those are defined so can you For the beginner that's out there who doesn't have an accounting background, can you break down what net income is and then marketable securities after that?
0: Okay, so I'll go ahead and take a stab at this. So net income is really the easiest way to think of it is the money you make on the money you make. So in simple terms, think about your own paycheck. When you bring home your paycheck and you pay all of your expenses, the money you have left over is your net income. So after you pay your rent, your utilities, maybe your cell phone bill, maybe you got to get your dog washed or groomed, any of those kinds of things, that money that's left over at the end is your net income. And that is the money that you can use to either do things you want to do or you can use it to invest or pay down debt or however you want to do it. And so the, the same basic principle applies to a company. So when they have their income statement, that shows all the revenue that they generate from all the businesses and all the different products they may sell or services or whatever it may be that the company does. And then at the bottom of that statement is their net income so that they're going to be taking all their expenses, their operating expenses, any taxes they may pay, any of those kinds of things. So that's what is considered net income. So I think that's pretty simple. So moving on from there, marketable securities. Now, this is kind of a whole jumble of stuff. And the way I think of it is marketable securities are going to be really think about stocks. So if you're buying stocks in the stock market or if you have T-bills, for example, You know, you buy treasury bonds or bills from the government. Those would be lumped in there. Warrants, which would be other types of stocks, uh, preferred stock, any of those kinds of things, money market accounts, any of that kind of stuff is all going to be considered marketable securities. And that is really kind of when you talk about Warren Buffett, that's really kind of one of his big bread and butters with Berkshire Hathaway.
2: And so I guess that's kind of what makes the insurance business model work in general is obviously they get premiums from people, right? And then they make sure they have enough liquidity to be able to cover any sort of catastrophe if they need to pay out uh, somebody who makes a claim. But what you do with the majority of that money, what Warren Buffett does with Berkshire is he takes what they call the float, which is kind of like that difference between premiums and claims and basically takes that money and uses it to invest in securities and that's where the marketable securities comes in and that's how he's been able to create fantastic amounts of wealth by using other people's money and it's almost i don't want to say a double compounding machine because i use that metaphor too much when i'm talking about dividends but it's really like one of those kind of special things that's that businesses can do and you tend to see it more in the financial industry but. When a guy like Buffett can do it and he does it without
0: taking on a lot of debt, it can really create a lot of magic in the financial world. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's monarchmone dot beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. a hotel upgrade, lounge access. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And so, you know, net income, that's important because... That's the big focus on Wall Street. Ever it's all about the bottom line and bottom line means net income. And so when analysts are doing projections, when they're looking at performance, they're looking at quarterly reports, annual reports, they are comparing, you know, what did last year's earnings look like compared to what this year's earnings look like. You know, what kind of growth are we seeing year over year, two years, three years? All that kind of stuff. That's all from net income. So What's going to be different moving forward is we've defined what net income is and we define what marketable securities is. Now, the next thing is when you have gains, and this applies to personal investments and investments made by businesses, like these corporations we're talking about. When you have, you know, say I buy a stock and, and it goes up 25%, on paper i have a 25% gain but until i sell the stock i don't actually make 25% right so what that kind of i don't know paper gain is it, it's the the technical term for it is unrealized gain basically means your portfolio is 25% more valuable but it's only on the screen or only on paper that's not real money in your pocket until you sell it Once you sell it, it becomes a realized gain and it becomes real cash in your portfolio. Up until then, it's this hypothetical number that does make your balance higher, but it's unrealized. So this new rule for 2018 is that already businesses report what's called unrealized gains on their marketable securities they're you know they're they're doing these things they're they're putting these financial numbers in they have to report you know what kind of assets do i have what kind of cash do i have what's the value of that every year it's always changing right unrealized gain is going to be the same way the way that they've previously done it is they've always just kind of had it in its own little section and it's always been understood as okay We have what our net income was for the year. That's how much profit we made for the year. But then on a separate kind of aside addition, we have what our income could have been had we sold our investments or marketable securities and made that extra profit, right? And so that's always historically been as an addendum to the income statement. And it's been in a section called Other Comprehensive Income. Uh, so now the and you'll have to forgive me because I'm not a lawyer. I'm not into the whole legal jargon stuff. I'm just based on what Buffett wrote in his letter, based on the way I interpreted what the document said. This is from the FASB, which is the private business that um, creates these GAAP, these accounting principles, these accounting practices that all businesses need to respect when when they file to the SEC. Basically, they have to include the unrealized gains instead of just being like an addition. Now this is going to be part of your net income. So remember that these unrealized gains is not real gains. It's 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 uh, the hypothetical balance of your account. And so what that's going to do for companies like Berkshire and companies that have large amounts of marketable securities is when this goes into effect, which is uh, fiscal years starting in 2019, they're going to see a big bump in net income if they have a lot of unrealized gains and for berkshire that is definitely the case uh buffett explained that they're going to get 30 billion more in net income strictly based off this little accounting requirement right so you know i made a spreadsheet i'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later but basically you're talking about a 67% gain in net income which is, it's not necessarily real, right? We're talking about unrealized gain. This is not, Berkshire didn't buy a stock, have a gain, sell the stock, and now have cash in their pockets. This is just a stock they've owned for however long, and it's appreciated because we're in a bull market. So now their unrealized gain is higher. Now it's pushing, it's going to push their net income higher. The problem that Dave and I see with this, which we talked a little bit, about off air is that now you're going to have net incomes that don't correlate with what the real operating business uh, really is at times. That's what can happen. It can potentially cause a lot of problems. And so I'd love if we dug into that next Dave and kind of explain why this could potentially be problematic for, these type of businesses that own a lot of marketable securities that either have a lot of unrealized gains or have little unrealized gains or even negative unrealized losses and how that can affect how other people are analyzing these stocks
1: hey you what's the best way to get started in the market download andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com you won't regret it
0: Well, yeah. As we were talking off off air, the thing that kind of jumped out at me was let's think about. Excuse me. Let's think about if the market goes into a bear market and companies start losing, not losing money, but you know the stock market goes down, and we're really talking about financial institutions, things like insurance companies, banks, investment banks, you know, things of that nature, and let's just. Pick on JP Morgan, for example. Let's say that JP Morgan in a downturn in the stock market is still a profitable company. However, because of these new rules with their marketable securities and showing a a potential loss in the stocks because the stock market has taken a downturn, keep in mind again, still, this is money that has not been lost or gained because they haven't sold or bought any of these securities. But all of a sudden, now because of this rule, This company could be showing negative earnings. And what will happen is the news will not tell you the whole story. They'll just say, Hey, JP Morgan is losing money. You need to, you know, death, doom and despair because that's what they do. And people will freak and they'll go running to the bank to take all their money out of the bank because the news is telling them that JP Morgan is losing money, which people will equate to going out of business. That's not the case. The case is that because of this rule that those marketable securities are affecting their net income, but it's not real money. Again, it's unrealized, which means it's not taken place yet. Now, this doesn't take, you know, let's say that JP Morgan all of a sudden starts selling all those stocks at a loss, which Jamie Dimon is not going to do. Dude is a very, very smart guy. He's not going to do something like that. But if that does happen, then, yeah, that could be a potential. But my fear is that this rule is going to inflate or deflate companies that are really not being inflated or deflated because of a, I hate to use the word fictional, but it kind of is. It's 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 a fictional number. It's not a, cre- a, a real number. And I, I want to back up for just a second. I, as Andrew and I were talking about this today, I did a little bit of digging on the Internet the gap accounting rule started in 1936. And this was all enacted because of what happened with the Great Depression back in the 20s. Back in the day, there was no government oversight on companies. So they could do whatever they wanted on their accounting. They could mix and match and manipulate numbers, all kinds of crazy stuff. And so people lost their shirts because of the Companies being unethical about their reporting, their actual numbers, and so this this uh, FASP was created to help. uh, They started and they created these gap rules to try to make all these companies have to report things legitimately. Now there are companies that will do non-gap and gap rules on their balance. I'm sorry, on their balance sheets, on their financial statements, and that always makes me leery because there is no on the non gap there's, there's no, there's no oversight on how they can adjust the numbers. And that makes it very, very scary to me. And so when we're talking about this rule that's being enacted, and again, you know, as Andrew said, it really has not been talked about hardly at all. Uh, there's been a an article on MarketWatch, CNBC mentioned it, and Warren Buffett has mentioned it. Now you can bet your bottom dollar that he's going to be talking about this at his annual meeting, and there's probably going to be quite a bit more conversation after that about this, but at the at this time, there is not much being discussed about this now this doesn't really necessarily affect a company that doesn't have a lot of marketable securities. we're really talking about companies that have big numbers, and Warren Buffett was very against this because he he even said in his interview that I was watching today that the, it it makes his number look larger than it really is and he in his head it's not real and, and i guess that was kind of what i was really taking out of what we were talking about earlier what are your thoughts andrew
2: yeah i completely agree and i'm I'm glad you mentioned you know that this isn't going to affect companies that don't have marketable securities so keep in mind that we talked about the insurance business and financial big financial institutions and so those are the ones that generally have a lot of the marketable securities. A lot of the companies, you know, when you think about how they store their assets, it tends to be in the traditional sense. They'll have plants, property, um, equipment, inventory, and then obviously cash, you know, cash is keen, and that's shared, and, and it's very parallel in a lot of different companies. Some businesses will do uh, a lot of marketable securities and, and they'll kind of invest in the stock market with their cash in this way. What I saw is so basically the, the kind of companies that you're going to want to look for if, if if this if you're looking at these type of companies, then this is the, going to be the rule that's going to affect how you want to analyze them. So fi- any stock in the financial industry. Uh, I went on Thindis today and did like an and p 500 and the industry financial that pulled up 98 stocks. So of these 98 stocks, you're going to want to check if, if one of your stocks falls into that industry, check in their income statement, check the comprehensive income, check their unrealized gains portion in there and make sure that if that number is large or small, you know how's that going to affect it even in the short term? You know we're talking about these rules going to affect twenty nineteen, and I still think it's early as far as you know i i I ran a spreadsheet and I looked at these ninety eight companies and I wanted to see you know what what are they showing right now as far as unrealized gains, what is their net income? So this is for 2017 numbers. What's the percentage in there? And then is there any has that been priced in on Wall Street yet, right? Because you you can only imagine if Buffett's Berkshire is going to see a 67% increase in their net income based purely on an accounting rule, well doesn't it make sense that the share price is going to f- have a similar jump because a lot of a lot of people are going to be so focused on just the earnings growth and the year over year growth like they already are so you know i i went through and looked at a lot of these businesses and a lot of them don't have these kind of correlations where if you see a big unrealized gain that's about to get reflected in the net income for next year uh, you would think that because you know this was announced back in january of 2018 and it was made official sometime in February, where the FASB actually made a, a document that has the official addendum to this. So you would think, you know, in, in that period of time that this stuff would already be reflected, but I, I haven't personally seen it. And, you know, it's not all doom and gloom either. Yes, it, it could make stuff a little bit more volatile and it's going to change some of the perceptions on Wall Street. But like Dave and I like to argue, You know, what happens on Wall Street doesn't really matter that much as long as you understand what's really happening with the operating part of the business. So if Wall Street wants to overreact, but you know from your analysis that actually the operating business is fine, then this could maybe even be an advantage to you from an information standpoint that other investors might not necessarily have. So this is all definitely good information. The other thing I'll say is. I made this spreadsheet, 98 companies on there. And I would say, uh, I don't know if the word, what the statistical word for this is, if it's Delta or what, but I only saw 20 stocks where the difference in their unrealized gain was 10% or higher than what their net income was. Meaning, like, for example, Berkshire has a $30 billion in- expected increase on $45 billion. That's 67%. Uh thirty thirty billion is sixty seven percent of forty five billion. So like if there was more than a ten percent difference compared to the net income, I only saw that in 20 cases. And if if these are numbers you wanna you wanna have for yourself, um I'm gonna give this spreadsheet out for free to my to any anybody who's an e leather subscriber and VTI spreadsheet client. If if you're both of those, I'll give you the spreadsheet for free. I will. I'll mail it out to the list on May first. So everybody who's on that list at that time, I'll send the spreadsheet out to. And you know, basically, the way I, I built it was. Unfortunately, there's every company's financial statements different. They all generally say the same thing, but it's always worded. A little bit different. So it wasn't as easy as like using some data. I looked for things like um if they're talking about unrealized gains, if they're talking about investment securities, sometimes they have weird wording. They called it available for sales securities, or they might say net change instead of unrealized gains. Uh, sometimes they call it equity investments instead of investment securities. But those were all practically saying the same thing. So I I tried to pull out as best I could the numbers for these financial stocks. You know, I personally I have like about a twenty five percent exposure to the financial industry on one stock, uh, one of my dividend fortresses. So you you can be sure I checked that stock to make sure that whatever it's showing for unrealized gains or unrealized losses, that there wasn't going to be like a big. Volatile jump, and even if there was that I was mentally prepared for it, and that I would know kind of how to how to view the stock moving forward so it's <laughs> kind of a bummer for me to hear because literally two weeks ago we were talking about how I'm so black and white when it comes to negative earnings. here we are seeing another case where actually negative earnings could actually not. Be reflective of a poor business model. I uh, haven't adjusted my view on negative earnings just yet. And luckily for me, only one stock that I own would, f- would technically fall into this range. And it just so happens that it's not, it doesn't have many marketable securities. So it's not an issue I'm running into now. But this is something that definitely investors should keep in mind that particularly as the market moves and as, as it moves from extremes from one extreme to another you really need to dig deeper than just what's being reported on in the media and what people are saying the bottom line is you need to have more than one reference point of data and you can't rely solely on earnings growth like a lot of wall street likes to do
0: i totally agree and i you know i i'm excited to to take a look at this spreadsheet because i do have you know several two or three different investments in financial institutions and you know as Andrew and I talked about a couple weeks ago about the negative earnings part you know I have a slightly different view on it so you know I'm still going to have to take a look at this as well and I'm going to have to rethink how I analyze looking at the earnings of a financial institution I'm going to have to dig deeper than I might have done before I, I tend to think that I look pretty deep now but I'm it's just another thing I'm going to have to add to my checklist simply. I mean, that's just basically the way I'm going to look at it is just another, another item to look at my checklist when I'm doing a cursory surface look at the company to see where they are. And I think the spreadsheet that Andrew is, you know, going to let us take a look at is going to be really helpful for me in this regard. So I'm kind of excited to look for it myself personally. So uh, thank you for sharing that with us, Andrew. Okay.
2: You know, you know me, I got excited building it, so
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know how you love your spreadsheets.
2: <laughs> but you know, seriously though, if you think about it, you know, this isn't the first time that G- what do you call it, Gap G A P has like made a big change back in the day, I think it was the nineties, they changed the way that EPS was reported, uh earnings per share. And so I don't know if it was Buffett. I, I wanna s- I wanna say it was Buffett who like really said that there was a problem with these companies because um, they weren't reporting... You know, a lot of these businesses like to give RCUs and, and stock options to their employees, and that wasn't getting reported in the earnings per share reports. So they split earnings per share from just a regular earnings per share figure to basic earnings per share and diluted earnings per share. And now... Common knowledge is to use diluted earnings per share because that's going to take into consideration stock options that have already been granted but not necessarily vested and things of things of that nature. So you know we don't know how how the financial statements will look. For Nineteen years. It's possible that th- that there will be some standardized procedure that makes it very clear to investors, or it might be more opaque. We don't know that, um, but regardless we're going to be prepared right and uh i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing but it's a potential trap that you could get (laughs) a trap that you can get trapped in if you're not careful so uh i guess be mindful when you're
0: doing these things right yeah exactly it could definitely trip you up if you're not aware of it and that's one of the things that we like to try to do is help people be more aware because the more knowledge and the more aware you are, the better decisions you can make for sure. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion on gap rules, the new changes that are coming about with financial institutions. We hope you guys found that interesting and informational, and we hope you learned a thing or two. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and sign off. You guys go out and find some great intrinsic value. Invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. You guys have a great week, and we will talk to you next week.
1: We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day.